New South Wales election, turfs and Nazis, voice referendum a step closer, and good news about baking soda. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am your co-host of this Adelaide Fringe award-winning podcast, Ben Davison. And joining me here live from central Victoria is the great, the glorious, the also award-winning Adelaide Fringe podcaster. You flatterer. Best-selling author of QAnon and on a short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults, my wife and your friend, Van Batham. How are you, Van? Oh, I'm delightful. And I want to congratulate our friends at Adelaide Fringe for becoming the biggest festival in Australian history. They sold a million tickets. A million tickets. A million tickets. That, that's more than some capital cities have in terms of population in this country. It is amazing. As we mentioned in earlier podcasts, Adelaide Fringe sell more tickets in a month than the AFL do in the entire season. In South Australia. In South Australia. But, I mean, what's exciting is, do you know what we can be, Australia? And I'm this person, and I think you can be too, is a person who loves the arts and sport at the same time. In fact, it's more fun things to do. I get really frustrated with the sport art dichotomy. I get really shocked when my arts friends are like, oh my God, do you like sport? And it's like, I love sport. Sport and theatre are the same thing. That's right. But we should, you know, fund both of these pursuits in a healthy and sustainable way and support them as a place where our culture comes together to do what is best in life, which is have fun. Have fun. Have a great time. And, you know, look, there are a lot of economic and social and health benefits of both of those activities. Yeah. You know, mental health benefits, physical health benefits, obviously economic benefits. And it improves education outcomes. You know, when wherever they build a theatre improves education outcomes in the local area. It's fantastic. Yeah. Kind of exciting. Theatre for every school. I love it. <laughs> Imagine that. Football ground and the theatre at every school. Wouldn't yeah, that be nice? It would be great. It would be great. But to be fair, I mean, I have a successful paid career in the theatre and, you know, my school, I mean, we didn't have, it wasn't fancy what we got, but it was enough. State school, brilliant outcomes. Ha, ha, ha. Doing more with less. Doing more with less. I'm not saying that's a justification for no, less. No, no. I'm saying imagine what they could do with more. Just imagine it. Well, it's talking about imagining what they could do with more, of course, Van, on Saturday, March 25th, is the New South Wales state election. How very exciting. And What an opportunity. Well, we will talk about education in the context of that election because it is a key issue in the electorate of New South Wales, the broader electorate of New South Wales. But let's start with some basics because not everyone who listens to this show is from New South Wales or intimately enmeshed in the New South Wales poll, which, by the way, seems to vary. Hashtag New South Wales poll seems to vary between being about politics and the New South Wales police force. So hashtag New South Wales votes seems to be a bit more consistent if you're looking for online content about the New South Wales election. <sighs> so pre-poll already opened uh, last week. Now, to win majority government, you need to win 47 lower house seats. Half the upper house is up for election, and we've already seen the likes of One Nation leader, in inverted commas, Mark Latham, have his brawl 
uh, outside of church for the upper house election, trying to bring some attention to himself there. I'm not going to get into attention seeking. You do it to yourself, you do, and that's what really hurts. Yeah, do it to yourself. Sorry, sorry, just randomly started singing. Sorry I will once again apologise for voting for Mark Latham in 2004. It was a gross national delusion that affected, I think, both sides of politics in in different ways in 2004, but nonetheless... Labor needs to win nine seats at the state election in the lower house of New South Wales. That includes holding on to Heathcote, which is a notional Labor seat after redistribution. That will get Labor to a majority. Now, Van, your good friend Dominic Perrottet. Well, yeah, I mean, we're such buds, me and Dominic Perrottet. We have so much in common. Well, you're Catholic. Um, Yeah, you know, (laughs) I mean, uh, as we've discussed, Catholicism is a spectrum of belief like most things, and I think we're pretty much diametrically opposed in terms of the practice (laughs) of our Catholicism. This, this I have to say, is probably true. Look, I just had to get that in there because, Because you love mocking me for being a papist. Ben is a Protestant, everyone, in case you didn't get the memo. Enjoy the hard seats and the kneeling. <laughs> so, Perita, <laughs> thousands of years of religious wars, and we're barely getting started in this house. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Perite only has forty-five seats. He manages to govern with the support of the crossbench. And what a crossbench they are! I know it is the cantina scene from Star Wars. Everybody loves that as like a kind of you know description of. Weird and wacky, wonderful political. But they have wonderful. principles in the cantina <laughs> on Tatooine in Star Wars. They do. They do not intervene when someone gets their arm cut off for being a jerk. Um, now he, there are three greens. There are three shooters, fishers, and farmers. They're now all independents. Those three, by the way, I've, I've been reliably informed. Um, three other independents of varying uh, types. And Gareth Ward. Gareth Ward, who was involved in student politics at the University of Wollongong when I was there. And can I just say? I'm not so gonna, your friend Gareth Ward? I'm not going to prejudice any inquiry. I would say that I have never supported, encouraged, facilitated, rewarded, or positively engaged with Gareth in any way, and I feel pretty vindicated for that decision. Well, you would because, of course, Gareth Ward is awaiting trial on sexual abuse charges. Yeah, he certainly is. And that's why he's an independent. He was booted out of the Liberal Party uh, when those charges were laid. Uh, Trial has not yet commenced, and, of course, uh, the presumption of innocence must be extended to all people, uh, and he is choosing to run in this election as an independent. He has been asked about whether he would support a Perrottet government in minority uh, and basically indicated that he already does and therefore uh, would probably do so again. Now, so Perrottet actually doesn't have majority government. He needs to win two seats in his own right to pick up a majority, Van, it's a very complex system in New South Wales. I mean, every political system is a little bit different. In New South Wales, they have optional preferential voting, uh, which means votes can be exhausted. Yeah, so votes can be exhausted. So you'll be aware of the fact that during the federal election, when we cast our preferential vote, in the federal election, we number every box. Every and box. the idea of this is that if you can't, if the person you like the most can't get elected, hopefully the person who you don't hate the most gets elected. <laughs> so you preference all the way down and the votes are circulated, the idea being that a majority will get a candidate that they can live with. That's the 50% 
of the vote plus one vote, that's how that works. Yeah. So you go down and as candidates get kicked out for not getting very many votes, they go from the bottom, whoever gets the least number of votes gets kicked out and then they look at number two on their ballots and then distribute no, them around. Well, the, the second last. Yeah, the second last. Yeah, so the last one gets out first and redistributed, the second last and third last and so on and so Yeah, forth. yeah, yeah, but what so I mean is two. the ballot paper. Yeah. I have a feeling the one of the reasons people find this confusing is because people like you and I who know how it works do not necessarily communicate it effectively. You make a preferential list of who you like the most to who you like the least. That's right. And then whoever gets the smallest pile of votes as a candidate, they take that small pile of votes and they look at who is number two on all those ballot papers and put them on everybody else's pile. And then they take out the second least popular and then the third least popular until one person has 50% of the votes plus one. That's how preferential works. The problem is that in uh, New South Wales, they have optional preferential where you can exhaust a vote. So you can say, as a lot of people do, oh, my God, there are some absolutely terrifying monsters who shouldn't be anywhere near a jam jar, let alone representative office, who are contesting this election. I cannot vote for any of them. I'm going to put maybe one or two and then the rest of them can duke it out in an ant war. Now, the problem is that there is no ant war option. No. And really, if if you value, you know, very basic standards of accountability in your electorate, unfortunately, you really are obligated to make a judgment call about who is the absolute worst. And why I understand, and certainly this is relevant to our later conversation, that you might go, mm, liberals, they're pretty right-wing, too right-wing for me, Nazis, certainly too right-wing for me, I'm not going to vote for any of them. I have to say liberals are better than Nazis, like they are better than Nazis, and there are other independents who I most. Let's be clear, most liberals are better than Nazis. Most independents, apart from those liberals who are Nazi adjacent, but we'll get to that in a moment. But the other thing is that you might look at just the carnival of awful, which can be the parade of independence. And Ben and I live in a rural community, and you can imagine there are some fun characters who leaflet us at election time. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh boy. Oh, boy. There ain't no independent like a rural independent, let me just say. And while it genuinely terrifies me to think that I would actually have to make a judgment call amongst who is the worst, there is always a worser option. In New South Wales, what can happen, though, is that if you let your preferences exhaust, if you say, like, uh, one, Labor, two, Green, three, Progressive Independent, for example. Sure. And then go, the rest of them are awful, I can't bear it, I can't pick one who is worse than the other. That means that if the contest in your seat gets down to sort of centre-right widow who you don't really like, an absolute screaming far-right lunatic who you absolutely cannot stand, uh, there is a chance the screaming lunatic will win because your vote will cease to count because you haven't preferenced. Yeah. You haven't actually exercised a preference. And where this gets really difficult for Labor trying to win government is, and you and I see it 
all the time is this it, it, to the point of becoming a meme online are Labor Liberal just the same? Yeah. Like what's the difference between Liberal and Labor Party? We're, we're going to get into some differences shortly. Yeah, I mean. there are some pretty stark There ones. are some pretty stark ones, one being party of the organised working class and the other one being party of the banks. I mean, yeah. I think that's pretty, that's pretty clear. Like, you know, um, quite frankly. But obviously there's a concern that people are like, oh, yeah, well, I'm just going to vote for the independent. I'm just going to vote for the grand. Everybody else is kind of the same, so I'm not going to actually enact a preference, meaning that a Labor candidate with a, with a large voting base who ordinarily would win in a preferential voting system like a like a um, full preferential system like the federal election may not win because they're not getting preferences. And, and I just want to say to anybody who decides to exhaust their vote because they believe the kind of garbage that goes on with Twitter and Labor Liberal just the same, like I will never forgive you. I will absolutely never, ever forgive you. Look, I, we will get into some of the differences between the two major parties, the two parties that are duking out for government. Um, but I also want to say some of the conversations we've been having with people, uh, I had a conversation with some people yesterday who really reinforced this concern that in some seats they have had uh, green votes, so people who have chosen to put one in the green uh, candidate, not something I would do, but I know that there are 8 to 12% of the population in any given state at any given time who will do that. But in New South Wales, half, in some seats, half of those votes exhaust before they get down to the two party preferred, so the two candidate preferred, which means there are half the green votes in New South Wales not making it to, if you like, the final round of the vote count. Now, Green voters do tend to preference Labor above Liberal, not always, but do tend to, roughly 80% do. Now, if you're one of the 20% of Green voters who preferences Liberal ahead of Labor, feel free not to fill in your whole ballot paper. Ben, you're just confusing people. <laughs> but in all honesty, for those few Green uh, listeners that we still have on this show, thanks, Van, uh, we will uh, – it's really important to fill in the whole ballot paper. And if you do have friends who are considering voting green or minor party or independent, you know, fill in the whole ballot paper. If you have some who are considering voting, uh, who, who, you know, who maybe you listen to this podcast because you've got friends or colleagues who have slipped into a, you know, conspiracy mindset, they've gone down the rabbit hole. You know, and they're only going to vote for far-right parties. You know, getting their preference to Labor ahead of Liberals is important and getting them to number the whole ballot paper is important. It's really, it's a really strange anomaly in the Australian system. I think Queensland used to have it. They got rid of it because it was causing confusion. People didn't know what they had to do in the ballot box. Obviously, for newer Australians as well, if you've just come off the federal election last year, you go into the ballot box, you've got different instructions. The simple thing is number every box. Number every box. Like, so we can just make this very, very clear. If you do not exercise your preferences, you are creating space for electoral preferences to be determined by the worst 
people in the electorate. Yeah, absolutely. You are giving them the power because then rather than... You're increasing the power of their vote. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You are increasing the power of their vote because then, like, you could be a Green who helps elect a Labor member. Yep. Or you could be a Green who helps Liberals elect a One Nation member. Scary thought. So, yeah. But let's let's... So that's the system. That's what's in place. Hopefully that clears it up a bit. If you do have questions, do feel free to contact uh, the ALP head office in Sussex Street. I'm sure they'll give you clear directions about what to do. Uh, you can also check out um, the New South Wales Electoral Commission. They are an independent commission despite 12 years of Liberal rule. I want to be a bit optimistic now, Van, because quite frankly, the polls are looking pretty good for Labor. Um, very, very quickly, there was a Resolve strategic poll that's come out. Labor and Coalition primaries both on 38, Greens on 8, Independents uh, on 8 and others on 8. Poll Bludger says that that works out to about 52-48 Labor. News Poll has Labor at 52-48 with a 37 primary versus a uh, Coalition because in New South Wales it's Liberals and Nationals Coalition, 36 primary. Roy Morgan is normally a little bit more off, and you, you will understand why I say that in a second. 53.5 to 46.5 to Labor, with Labor on 34 primary, Coalition 34 primary, Greens on 13 primary, quite a high primary for the Greens in the Roy Morgan poll. It's an SMS poll, tends to be higher for Greens. Freshwater strategy. Now, this one came out today. This is in the boss's pamphlet, the AFR, um, not a company I'm particularly familiar with. Anybody knows anything about freshwater? Do let me know. I've never heard of them. No, but they have. Which is odd because you and I eat this for breakfast. Yeah, look, and polling companies pop up and fold and all sorts. I'm, I'm not casting any assertions about them. Their polling is pretty consistent with the rest. The primaries for Coalition and Labor are both uh, equal, 37. Greens, 10. Independence, 16. Which, again, if you add up the resolve independence and others, that's the same number. They have Labor uh, on the two-party preferred at 53-47. So the overall, there's sort of a 52 to 53 vibe coming in for Labor on the two-party preferred, keeping in mind that optional preferential can skew these things out. That's why we made such a big deal of this at the start of the podcast, because if you if you exhaust your vote, then the two-party preferred number goes all over the place. And that's what some of the people in New South Wales are saying to us, they're really concerned about. They're looking at these numbers, they're going, there's some positive stuff here. You know, Labor generally, generally has a lower primary than the coalition nationwide. That's generally how it happens because don't forget, coalition is at least two parties, sometimes more. Mm, I think there were five in the <laughs> 2016 election, yeah. Um, whereas Labor is really one party. And look, there are some other good news elements to this. Chris Minns has closed the gap on preferred Premier. It's always hard for an opposition leader. And we should remember that Albo, I can't remember Albo ever became preferred Prime Minister no. prior to being elected. He didn't, did he? I don't believe so. It's a, it, it's it a might have been might have been close towards the end. Yeah. But that's that was the Australian and their desperate insistence that Morrison was somehow re-electable because he was leading Albo on the on the preferred. That's Prime right. Minister. That's right. I mean, this is the thing. Most people ignore politics until, unfortunately, it fails to ignore them um, in generally the worst possible way. And don't pay a lot of attention to who's who or who's from where. And twenty percent of voters tend to make the decision on the day about who they're going to vote for. 
and opposition leaders, whichever party they're from, don't have the same name recognition or purchase uh, on on voters as leaders do who are in the media more who have like definable characteristics mm. and the rest of it. That being said, I mean, Dor- Dominic Perrottet is one of the creepiest weirdos I think to ever hold an, a leadership position in this country. Everything about him sets me on edge. I'll be quite honest about that. I mean, the fact that, I mean, he, he has some genuinely genuinely quirky religious beliefs um, and that has affected his policy making around certain issues, mm. absolutely, and I wouldn't say that that's reflective of the democratic sentiment in the state of New South Wales where, Ben will no doubt remind you, I am from, Garab was raised and inculcated with the culture with. Um, I think also he became Premier because of another corruption scandal um, associated with ICAC when former Premier, the very popular uh, Gladys Berejiklian, withdrew because, you know, her integrity had been compromised mm. um, in, over the course of revelations in that investigation. I think that that's bad. I think people uh, are tired of it. I think they're tired of the scandals with the Liberal Party in New South Wales. I think the pork barrelling around John Barillaro, new recorded uh new recorded material Mm. of the former Deputy Premier bragging about pork barrelling, which I think went down like a lead balloon, obviously. Credit to Friendly Geordies. Credit to Friendly Geordies for breaking that story just one more time. Um, And I think that, you know, New South Wales, the infrastructure is crumbling. Where is the investment in schools? Well, Perite is not investing in schools. His education policy is to give free money to rich kids, which is, of course, what I wrote about in my Guardian article this week. Um, and I think, Van, what this shows, these are all reasons why as people have got to know Mins more and and Perite more, that gap on preferred Premier has reduced significantly. So Perite led Mins by 12 points and now on Mon- the Monday before the election, that gap is down to five points. Uh, uh, and, you know, th- that's a pretty... Uh, it's a pretty exceptional um, closing of the gap. It is exceptional. And I think Minns is a really great candidate for New South Wales, quite honestly. Like in, in non-ideological terms, just in terms of presentation, he comes across as very accessible. You know, I think they've made some very smart um, decisions about where to sort of channel him the way that he speaks, I think is quite like he comes across as friendly and, you know, not a creepy weirdo who uh, phones the New South Wales Health Minister rather than an ambulance or a doctor when their wife gets sick, which was a story that came out on Sky News of all places this week about Dominic Perrottet. And, I mean, he just he is recognisable as a boy from the burbs and I think that that goes a long way in highly urbanised New South Wales. And, of course, you can check out our interview with Chris Minns uh, in a December edition of The Week on Wednesday that we recorded last year with with, with Chris Minns while you and I were in Sydney. Yeah. Uh, it was a really, really down-to-earth, refreshing kind of discussion about toll roads and infrastructure and well i mean the key promise that new south wales labor is making and as somebody who grew up in the days of keating and the boys from sussex street and the new south wales right it's amazing that they're making it but the key pitch of men's and and new south wales labor at this state election is to stop privatization which is 
amazing. They're going really hard on protecting Sydney water from being privatised because we know so much of the, the corruption that happened in New South Wales happened because government land, government services were privatised, there were sweetheart deals, there were like mates' rates and all kinds of garbage that went on for years, yeah, decades. Yeah. I know Ben thinks everyone in New South Wales is a criminal. doesn't mean we agree with crime, Ben. Sure. But this is a really important policy differential from New South Wales Labor, not only in terms of competing with the Liberals, but also evolving from New South Wales Labor's past. These are good collectivist social democratic policies about investing in shared infrastructure and preventing the fire sales of shared assets. Well, let's talk about some of those differences. We'll talk about key seats after this, but some of those some of those issues, the big the big issues there's what I call the material reality issues and the existential issues. And the material reality issues, tolls, education, healthcare, wages, housing, that sort of economic management piece, those existential issues, pokies, privatisation and climate change. And they're very, the, the lines are very drawn, I think, in this election around the parties on this because uh, Perite's gone hard on a position around the pokies and interestingly, it doesn't seem to be resonating. I know there's a lot of media commentary about this, and Hugh Remington has a piece today in The Guardian, which surprises me. He he basically says that Labor's going to sweep the board, uh, but uh, you know Dominic Perrottet can hold his head up high uh, because he's taken a principal position on pokies. Um, now, I, I don't intend to get into the debate on that policy issue because, quite frankly, what the research in the essential poll has shown is that the majority of people in New South Wales, it doesn't impact their vote. It's not something they particularly care about. And quite frankly, it's actually making them less likely to vote for the coalition, something which the Poll Bludger website uh, added some commentary around, well, that doesn't seem to make intrinsic sense to me. And let me tell you this from deeply, deeply personal experience. The If the research is telling you something, just because you don't agree with it, doesn't mean the research is wrong, okay? You- How many campaigns have you and I worked on? Is it a million? <laughs> have we worked a- on a million campaigns? You, just because the people have not moved the way you want them to doesn't mean the people are wrong. More than a feeling. <laughs> and and so Perite is really- I'm really in a singing mood. Leading, leaned into that as his existential issue. Labor, as you've already touched on, leaned into privatisation, having a state- Against it, against yeah, privatisation. Leaned, leaned into stopping privatisation, Sydney Water, uh, having a state-run uh, power company, and, of course, the Teals and the Greens uh, talking about uh, climate change, which you would expect, right? So those, those are very much part of the discussion. But fundamentally, the big issues that keep coming through- you know, our bread and butter issue. This is this is a state election, and what do state governments do? They deliver services. They deliver public education. They deliver public health care. They deliver roads. They employ vast numbers of civil servants. Oh, state governments are crucial local employers. And you have a local employment problem. You need a state government to invest in your local area. And this is the point of the Unions New South Wales campaign. And a shout out to Unions New South Wales. The Teachers Federation, the New South Wales Nurses Midwives Association, the Health Services Union and the United Workers Union, among many other unions in New South Wales who are advocating for their members in this campaign, but particularly those because they are 
focused on the issues of education, healthcare, and the Dominic Perrottet wages cap, which has absolutely smashed investment in New South Wales. Yeah, well done with a wages cap in a period of high inflation, Dominic. What a brilliant idea. So you want people to be less able to afford things and you also want to restrict spending in the economy. Brilliant. Economic genius. Well, it really, the knock-on effect, we have to think about the knock-on effect here and, and it's part of the reason it's so important to join your union as join we your always union. say. Go to australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W. You can use that link whether you're in New South Wales or WA or Tasmania or Darwin, wherever you might be, and, of course, Melbourne, uh, around the country. I mean, we do live very <laughs> close to Melbourne. We do, we do. We're quite pro-Melbourne. But the the reality is that the New South Wales Public Service is so large because it is such a large state that that wages cap has a knock-on effect right across the country. It impacts not just public servant wages but the wages of teachers, of nurses. I mean, these are public servants too, right? They're often, though, the idea of a public service wage cap is often painted about, you know, faceless bureaucrats who sit in offices shuffling papers around. Do you know one of the first political campaigns I can remember is when I was around three, I might have been two or three, and it was when we were living in Canberra and the then Liberal government of Malcolm Fraser was running against fat cats. Right. The fat cats. And that's who the evil bureaucrats were that we had, the, you know, the honest, hardworking public servants yeah. who were getting, you know, appropriately remunerated for the work that they did were fat cats and we had to do something about them. And you can imagine being two or three, however old I was, I was just like, where are the cats? Why are they fat? <laughs> but this is this is the, the great uh, hypocrisy of the Perrottet government is that they have also blown out and massively I bet I know. I bet I know. Consultant fees. Well, not just consultant fees, Van, but also executive civil servant salaries. So, Well, where else do you put <laughs> failed Liberal Party pre-selection candidates, Ben? It's quite remarkable. I mean, these people have got to, got children to send to St Poshos and a BMW to renew every couple of years when the model gets outdated. Well, they certainly... Landscaping uh, Vaucluse doesn't pay for itself, Ben. Well, look, it's one of those points of difference, right, that Labor has said they're going to remove the wages cap, uh, which is going to lift the wages of teachers, lift the wages of nurses, lift the wages of the public service who do things like issue driver's licences and all the things that we require to have a civil society. Which uh, you certainly notice in places where they don't have one, and, like Russia, where you and I have both been, which is awful. And remove some of the executive largesse from the uh, Perrottet era. Now, you could understand why people would be happy with that, but also... You know, this is a, I just keep coming back to I, I'm surprised it's as close as it is in New South Wales, right? For me, the New South Wales Liberal government is just absolutely toxic. You've talked about the corruption. You've talked about Dominic Perrottet calling the health minister instead of the same number everybody else has to call for. Oh, ambulance. jobs for the boys. Jobs like for the boys. A bunch of weedy beardies and creeps. All those things, right? But there's also the fact that they bought trains from another country that don't fit through their tunnels, even though they've got perfectly good rail manufacturing Oh, and, and the trams that you could run faster than. That they bought, again, from overseas when they have perfectly good tram-making facilities. The ferries that they could have made 
here in Australia, in New South Wales, buses. Oh, creating sustainable, well-paid, stable jobs that support entire community. All these things, right? Ben, but, you communist. I just It just boggles my mind, right? Communist. So, so you would think that would be enough. Now, in Victoria, we've seen that is enough, a government that delivers on those things. But then you've got, and we've talked about this last time, uh, Perite's voucher scheme, which you wrote about in The Guardian. I really want everyone to read that article. Tell everybody how good it is, Ben. It's a phenomenally good article. We will include it in the email we send to supporters of the show. So if you're not a supporter already, jump on now while you're listening. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. Become a supporter at any level and we will send every episode uh, of The Week on Wednesday to you first and we will include links and for this episode we will include the link to Van's uh, piece about the about the Perite government for the rich in New South Wales because it is really a phenomenal piece of writing really well crafted but also really insightful you know while Perite is promising a a voucher scheme of cash accounts for people who don't need it you've got Labor saying they'll set up a a proper education future fund, which will lift New South Wales public schools to 75% of the school resource standard. Now, people may not be familiar with this, man. I don't know if you're to, were familiar with this before, but people might remember Gonski, the Gonski review, and we we're going to have needs-based funding. Remember that? We we're going to have needs-based funding in schools in Australia. Communism. That. The kids who needed funding would get funding. Communities who needed that support to get would get that support. Well, we'd actually redress structural disadvantage in order to actually facilitate equal opportunity. Yeah, we would use the collective power of the state to, to make give sure. you the most, you know, basic support, so you could then actualize on the basis of your own. Vim and creativity. Yeah, these things, these sorts of things. Right? I know it's just so out there, isn't it? It's like alien language. Well, in New South Wales, let's be really clear: every private school is on a pathway to having that minimum need-based funding. But the public schools are so far behind, thanks to twelve years of conservative coalition government, so far behind that even with the $400 million injection from an elected Minns government, they would still only get to 75% by 2025. That's two years better than what Perite is putting on the table. I just want to acknowledge that it's the vocational dedication of public school teachers that meet the gaps and it, we shouldn't have to have a system that relies on workers exhausting themselves out of a commitment to the principle of education. Right, that because again and again I tell people, you know, the the education you get in a state school in this country is world class because we have world class teachers, absolutely, and they will find a way to get you where you need to go. You will not be left behind in a state school um, where teachers are employed who have those values and those priorities. And and we had a conversation just very recently with some friends of ours who've sent their children to state school who are learning French and they have classes 
predominantly some days. Yeah, the they're at a state. They're at a state primary school in Victoria, and they're getting a bilingual education. It's phenomenal. It is. It's totally. I mean, look at me. Look at my amazing education. Like I, I find it extraordinary considering where I came from. You know, I came from the deep burbs. My dad was a club manager. You know, my mother was in the public service as an admin person. You know, they both had backgrounds in the TAB. They'd worked at the track. You know. The polite term is the gaming industry. Yeah. You know, that's where they were from. My mother had worked at the post office and they were white-collar working-class people and, you know, we never knew. The closest we came to knowing anybody in the arts were friends of my dad's who were like club entertainers, yeah. right? That was the arts. Lounge singers. Yeah. I mean, some great outfits, let's sure. be fair. But, I mean, I got – I showed an interest in – theatre and I showed an interest in writing and I showed an interest in visual art when I was at school and my state school teachers found a way to get me through, you know, like, and because they made sacrifices of their time in order to do that to ensure that I and everybody else like me got a decent education. You know, I always talk about what they said to me on my first day at my second high school when in my admission interview where they were like, at Port Hacking High School, we believe everyone is good at something. It's our job to find out what you're good at and help you to do it. And that's the strength of the system. And I keep getting back to this point whenever this ridiculous funding situation comes up. Imagine, imagine what these institutions can do if they're funded properly. Well, one of the key things that Labor has committed to doing is I, I I just had no idea the situation in New South Wales was so bad, but there are 10,000 public school teachers who are on temporary contracts. Oh, yeah. 10,000. Oh, this has been going on and for years. And Labor has promised to make them ongoing teachers. Oh, and it's just about, it's about cost cutting. It's about, you know, this weird sort of economic rationalist idea that if we just keep these people in absolute terror of losing their employment, if we don't give them permanent employment, we don't have to worry about what may happen to them down the line. This is to be our responsibility. We can churn and burn and go through. I mean, it's and we saw this. We've seen this take a what hold. What a waste of resources. Sorry, I'm really angry. No, no, I'm I can really tell. angry. It's a waste of resources. Yeah, it's a waste of that absolute. Like you cannot, you cannot manufacture vocationalism. You can't just go, all right, we're just going to pick 100,000 people and you, random 100,000 people, are just going to have the burning passion in your heart to be a teacher. Like these are instincts and proclivities and dedications and commitments and beliefs that are precious to our society. And the idea that we wouldn't turn around and go, wow, what a resource. You're prepared to do that? For my child, you're prepared to do that for all of our children, for the children of our whole community, but we're going to put you on a, on a like, unstable on a, casual contract. A contract that often ends when there's school holidays. And we saw that in higher education. We've talked about that before on the show. You know, these sorts of arrangements are, quite frankly, cancerous in the workplace. They're cancerous in our society. They've got to be stopped. And again, this is just another reason why you've got to get rid of the Perrottet government. Oh, they've got to go. And, and look, they have wanna, to go. I want to talk about healthcare too, Van, because this is another area where there is, you know, these are vocational careers. These are things that people do for the love of it. And we've seen no more so than in the last three years how important our healthcare system is, how important our healthcare workers are. And in 
in New South Wales, the Liberals promised more health workers in the last budget and haven't even come close to delivering them. And and the reason is really simple, and it's really obvious. It's really obvious to me, right? But I'm saying this again from the Socialist Republic of Victoria, where we have minimum staffing ratios, where where workers in the healthcare settings are not set up to fail, but set up to succeed. They're given the resources to succeed. They're given the support to succeed. Their 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 working environment allows them to pursue that vocation of care. Whereas in New South Wales, they don't have that. So Labor, Labor saying we will mandate minimum staffing levels. We will bring in more healthcare workers and they will want to come and they will want to stay because they will have that environment. Whereas the Liberals just say, oh, well, we'll throw some more money at it. I mean, people talk about the Liberals being better economic managers. Their answer is to create a problem and then throw more of our money onto the burning pile of rubble that is the problem they created in the first place. That's the situation with healthcare there. That's the situation with schools there. Certainly the situation with uh, the entire public sector. And I want to, I want to, you know, I love my facts and figures, Van. I can see how angry you are. Oh, I'm just sitting here having a broil. I love how the dog is just so sweetly in my lap. Like, it's going to be okay. Just you calm down. it, It will be okay if on Saturday the people of New South Wales make the right decision. Number every box! And... From my perspective, put a one next to Labor and then number all the rest. You know, there was a Center for Future Work report that came out in November. So some of these numbers will have gotten worse as the inflation situation got worse. But they were saying in November that nurses and midwives made $335 less per week, per week in the year 21-22 compared to before the Liberals brought in CAPS. They've lost $80,000 since the caps were introduced by the Liberal government. Now, Dominic Perrottet has been in government for most of that time and had senior cabinet positions, including as treasurer. The loss in wages is going to grow and grow. And for someone who's worked throughout the wage cap period, you're talking about $120,000 they'll have lost in cumulative wages. These are our nurses. These are midwives. These are teachers. You know, this is this is huge, um, and and just just on the basis of of inflation, the real purchasing power for a nurse in New South Wales has declined by six thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars in uh, this financial year. That's based on that's based on the forecasts in that report. You know. There's no question these things are terrible. They have massive economic impacts. Oh, it's just bizarre. Like, it's just genuinely strange. I mean, I found it such a struggle. I mean, everybody who listens to this podcast knows that I spent 18 months back in New South Wales looking for my mother. And it was just, I think the definitive experience was that my mother was so freaked out by the poor management of COVID. This is when my mother was, like, dying of cancer. Yeah. That she made us watch... Daniel Andrews's presses on the TV. So we watched the Victorian briefings about COVID because mum was just freaked out by the New South Wales government response to COVID, that it was haphazard, it was all over the place, and we pretended there was no problem, and then there was a problem, and then people were dying. Was that a problem? And should we let the ship land? Let's just let the ship land. Like it was just... 
disastrous. And again and again, because it's not just, you know, it's not just the appalling corruption and the consultants and the waste of money and suppressing the gaps and letting the infrastructure fall apart. Like it's the way that they dealt with things like the floods. Yeah. Like at the most basic level, like even if you are the most economically conservative person, you know, people who believe the lie of, oh, I made my own wealth, pulled myself up by my bootstraps and there are no systemic advantages even if I inherited millions of dollars from my dad. Like you have to recognise the state exists with a responsibility to protect you and keep you safe Mm. and they can't do that in New South Wales. No, they can't. It's interesting you mentioned hazard, uh, hazards because Brad Hazard, of course, did not get pre-selected. He was the health minister during uh, the uh, during the pandemic. Uh, he his seat of Wakehurst is now one to watch. Uh, there's a popular local mayor there uh, who may knock him uh, may knock off his replacement, whose name I don't even know, so I'm not even going to bother trying to learn it. Uh, but some other seats to watch before we move on to our next issue. Parramatta, Riverstone, Penrith, East Hills, Oatley, Dremoyne, Leppington, Upper Huntley, Goulburn, Balmain. Balmain is a seat that may switch from Green back to Labor. Jamie Parker retiring from who's the Green MP for Balmain, who is mayor and very popular, is off. Is off. He's retired. The first Green Lower House MP, I believe, anywhere in the country to retire from a seat. So, well, congratulations to him and hopefully... Uh, we will uh, see Philippa Scott elected there for Labor. Lane Cove, Manly, North Shore, Pittwater and Wollandilly are all coalition teal contests. Uh, Barwon and Murray are uh, independents, those uh, shoot, former shooter, farmer and fisher uh, MPs who are facing ca- uh, challenges from Nats and, of course, Wakehurst, which I've already mentioned. Saturday night, we will live tweet from week on Wednesday. Uh, Van will probably be on her account as well. Uh, you can guarantee that it will be an interesting evening uh, online. Look, we do need to move on because there's a couple of other stories. Oh, I just wanted just one more thing I wanted to talk about were a couple of uh, Liberal National candidates to be aware of. The disendorsed uh, man who published material of the misogynistic, homophobic, and or anti-Semitic nature who's running for Cessnock. Uh, the dude who published homophobic and Islamic co- Islamophobic comments who's running in Wyon. He's been disendorsed. And an ivermectin advocate, yes, a cooker who is still the Liberal candidate for Maroubra, and then there's a climate denialist who's running in Port Macquarie, uh, supported by the National Party. And of course, uh, New South Wales Liberals struggled to fulfil their pre-selections in time uh, and have obviously once again, just as they did in the federal election, reached into the very bottom of the rabbit hole and pulled out some awful, awful candidates. Van, let's move on because there's a story here uh, that's about Victoria and uh, Tasmania and indeed the country. And the free world. And the free world. Turfs and Nazis. I hate turfs. I'm just I'm putting it out there. I'm not ambiguous about this. TERF stands for Trans Exclusive Radical Feminists. Uh, it comes from a strain of feminism that holds to what's called a biologically determinist view that a woman has a destiny that's you know encoded in her genes, her body, and you know that's what women are. And of course, this is just I mean this is a nonsense because we know that a huge percentage of people who, you know, like assign female at birth and go on in their lives to identify as women are women who whose genetics don't 
um, of, uh, accord perfectly to the double X that a biological mm. determ- determinist would insist we all have. Um, a, a woman, you know, sometimes we menstruate, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're born with wombs, sometimes we aren't. Sometimes we have breasts, sometimes we lose them, sometimes we don't have them. Like what is a woman? A woman is a set of, of criteria that's essentially evaluated by the society around her that determines what a woman is. And we have these very polarised notions of masculine, feminine feminine in Western mm. society because we used to assign property um, based on these, you know, gendered identities that men inherited property and had the power to pass it on. Men were invested as the head of their households and women were the other. We were the objects, men were the subjects, we were chattels mm. and determined so in law until quite recently. Let's remember it wasn't until the 1990s that women won the right to leave the country without permission from their husbands or to maybe not get raped by them. That was still legal in parts of Australia until the 1990s. So their criteria that are associated with, you know, like a, a performance or a series of criteria based around a gendered presentation that is not actually stable, has never been stable, which is why cultures exist that have seven genders or mm. six or three or two. Like these are cultural criteria and, frankly, your gender is only relevant to the person you're choosing to have sex with and is choosing to have sex with you. So... In Victoria on the weekend, these TERFs held a rally that Moira Deeming, who's a Liberal Upper House MP, uh, and the uh, TERF from the United Kingdom, Kelly Jean Keane, I believe is who it is, um, held this rally on the steps of Victorian Parliament House, and they were joined by members of the National Socialist Network, who unfurled a really, I'm not going to say what was on the banner. But it, was it was disgusting. A, it was disgusting. They gave numerous Nazi salutes. Now, this uh, credit to the people of Hobart because uh, I think yesterday uh, this, United, this British uh, person. Who was, calls herself Posey Parker online. Right. So this, this person has gone down there and there's a beautiful video uh, that's being shared uh, with uh, a clown uh, circus uh, soundtrack behind it because she was absolutely drowned out um, because you're saying hateful things, right? They say hateful things. Yeah, they're bigots. Absolute bigots. They're literally bigots, they, you know, and they persecute trans people. Yeah. And they persecute trans people on the basis of just arbitrary hatred. And it's not. Identifying a vulnerable, marginalised community and seeking to make them more vulnerable and more marginalised. And I want to say very similar to what Dan Andrews said afterwards is that not only is this hateful and anti-Semitic, it's hateful against people who are some of the most marginalised in our community for no reason other than for who they are. These these are people who are doing nothing to anybody else. They're just trying to live their lives. They're trying to get through, live their lives in a system which is not set up for them. There is not. It's very, very difficult for trans people. Posey, this, these, these two people, Moira Deming and Kelly Jean Kane, Posey Parker, whoever she wants to call herself, 
had this rally on the steps of Victorian Parliament. And there are dozens of them. Like, we're not talking about a mass movement. No. And we're also, I want to make this really clear, we're not talking about a division in feminism either. No. Like I am a very committed feminist and I've been in the places for a very long time where the work gets done. These people are never there. These people are not talking about equal pay. They're not talking about housing. They're not talking about pensions. They're not talking about super. They're not talking about shelter. They're not talking about discrimination. What they want, their sole issue, is to discriminate against trans people and they use this whole oh well we can't have trans women in women's spaces i'm like trans women women more than welcome in any women's space i'm in and if you are concerned that people will enact bad behavior do you know what you do you restrict people on the basis of bad behavior not on the basis of their gender identity that's ridiculous a women's room is a room for all women and trans women are women this is very very simple stuff but it's a tiny tiny minority of people who have been marginalized because they are weird bigoted extremists from feminist discourses for decades for absolute decades we were having these arguments when i was at university when i got spat on by some turfs for defending the right of transgender women to participate in feminism do you know what i'm proud of being a feminist i want to expand the franchise i want as many women as possible to identify as feminists i want men to identify as feminists too and i mean men whose whose gender expression is of men I want them to be on board with a project of equality. And I've had these like weird right-wing accounts. What a coincidence the people who are persecuting transgender Australians are also people with Twitter accounts that promote Russian propaganda in the Republican Party. Oh, my God, what an incredible coincidence. And that these like male accounts are like, oh, what kind? Of, what are you doing for women's rights? I'm like, if you don't know what people like me and all of my feminist buddies are doing for women's rights, I don't think you're particularly invested in women's rights as a political cause. And I have to say, this Posey Parker person has said in that uh, Hobart rally where they were drowned out uh, that they are not a feminist. No, of course she's not a feminist. So, she doesn't believe in equality. Feminism is the project of justice, and justice loves inclusion. Couldn't agree more, Van, as you know. Look, I want to focus a little bit on this more redeeming person because this is a person who was expelled from the Liberal Party. But she was first pre-selected by the Liberal Party. She was. I mean, they did pick this person and her and views then, have not been hidden under a bucket. No, no, they haven't. And quite frankly, there is this ongoing rolling crisis in the Liberal Party, not just in places like New South Wales but in Victoria as well, where you've got these people like Deeming, who are associating with people like Posey Parker. Somebody named Angie Jones was an organiser of this rally, and I'm only going to say this because this is what they tweeted. Now, they claim this was taken out of context, but it's been published in a number of mastheads. They said, Nazis and women want to get rid of pedo filth, why don't you? Now, Sounds a bit QAnon, doesn't it, Ben? Sounds, Sounds a little very bit QAnon. QAnon doesn't that sound like the all-purpose smear? Everybody who disagrees with me must be a pedophile. Well, here's some news. That's not true. It's and you trying to enforce these smears on people that come straight out of two and a half thousand years of conspiracy theories used to demonize and target marginalized communities are not working. It is not working. Can I just say too? John Pesuto, who is the current Liberal leader, I don't know how long he'll be Liberal leader for, he's tried to remove Deeming from the party room. He doesn't have the numbers to remove her as a Liberal Party member. He barely got, uh, barely staved off a delay in the hearing of Deeming 
as as a member of the party room, uh, and he only won that by seven votes. Senator for Victoria and failed candidate for Karangamite Sarah Henderson is apparently lobbying behind the scenes to try and get Pseudo to let Deeming stay in the party room. And what does that tell you? All right, so Sarah Henderson used to be the member for Karangamite, the Lower House Liberal Party member, and she lost. She lost a seat to Libby Kaika, okay, who's the yeah. Labor candidate. Now, the Liberal Party thought that Sarah Henderson was so emblematic of their values, they gave her Senate pre-selection, guaranteeing that she would be back in Parliament this time in the Senate. They gave her that position. And Sarah Henderson, who is so important to the Liberal Party cause, that she was given that position of power and authority to keep a seat even though the people of her own community had rejected her, she wants to keep more redeeming in the Liberal Party and in the party room. Now, what does that tell you, Ben? That tells us that there is a far-right rot within the Liberal Party, small L Liberal no longer, and you understand why they are hemorrhaging votes to the Teals because the Teals represent that Menzian conservatism that we've yeah. talking about, economically conservative, socially progressive, socially multicultural, and it's a huge problem for them because, you know, there aren't a lot of things that Australians really agree on in huge majorities. You know, we mm-hmm. argue the toss as a society around 50%, but I think you'd be very hard to find any significant number of Australians who think that Nazis are okay. And if Nazis are on your side, that means that you're in a pretty extremist minority. If you turn around and there are a bunch of dudes in matching black shorts, how fetching, doing a zig heil in the street in order to demonise marginalised people, I don't think that's a really great political recommendation for you in a democracy. Absolutely not. And credit to Dan Andrews and the Anthony, dog is outraged and Anthony Albanese, who've both condemned uh, the presence of Nazis on the streets of Melbourne. Uh, Dan Andrews, of course, raised the trans flag above Parliament, which is sitting this week in Victoria, and also uh, is going to bring forward legislation to outlaw uh, those kind of uh, uh, salutes in the future. I mean, Van, it's very, very simple. There are, you know, we often say in in Australian politics there are there are two parties: the Labor Party and the non-Labor parties. Uh, I think you know if we expand that thinking a little more. There's really, there are Nazis and non-Nazis. And if you ever find yourself next to a Nazi, with a Nazi, at a table with a Nazi, in a, in a video with a Nazi, you're a Nazi. You are. You really are. Because, you know, associating with their ideology is uh, Nazism. And it's not okay. I just want to be very, very clear, okay? Like what happened was represent re- reprehensible and it was frightening. These are a minority. Mm. They need to be monitored. They are dangerous. Having spent all that time mm. amongst mm. the far-right loons in QAnon, I can tell you they're absolutely dangerous. And any of the propaganda coming out of those little Nazi party schools in this country, you know, it's the old will to power, white supremacists, you know, yeah, yeah, burn yeah. the women, stomp on them kind of garbage that it's always been. So they've got to be kept under control and monitored at all times. They're dangerous to the community. The idea that someone like Moira Deeming is in any kind of political space where Nazis feel confident to show up is disgraceful. It is an embarrassment for the Liberal Party. John Pesciotto is right to take action. Action should have been taken a very long time ago because these kind of loons, as I made very mm. clear in kind of the the weird candidates the Liberals and Nationals are having represented 
present their party as candidates in New South Wales makes clear that there's been a bit of a tactical intervention going on with these fringe groups and it is destroying the Liberal Party and it's corrupting democracy. I mean, great news for the Labor Party. like, And certainly Daniel Andrews' response to this absolutely validated why a bunch of people who traditionally said right voters voted for Andrews despite their ideological difference to him at the last state election and increased mm. the the Labor majority. From in, 55 to 56. From 55 to 56 because he showed leadership. He called it out. He demonised who needed to be demonised. He was unambiguous about what the problem was. He stood up for the better values of our community and he stood up with genuine solidarity for trans people who deserve it. You know, this is an innocent community. It's not a political movement. It's a group of Australians who have challenges in the way that they get to express their gender that society has struggled to accommodate traditionally. Mm. Well, we are a modern community and I love my trans feminist sisters. I have been very grateful for their solidarity in all my years in the feminist movement. And I just want to assure anybody who is a trans person listening to this, it's from a family with trans people in it, it's just from a community and has the kind of values that stand up for something better that I am with you Ben is with you, our friends, our comrades, and the Premier of Victoria are with you. Nazis out, turfs out, they're reprehensible scumbags. Couldn't agree more. Very quickly, I want to give a brief update on the voice referendum. Uh, we're going to have a slightly longer episode this, this week. Obviously, New South Wales election, it's an important thing. But the voice referendum is a step closer. Uh, the Albanese Federal Labor Government has struck uh, on a, an ideal uh, to get the legislation through the parliament, the legislation that's required to amend the uh, Referendum Act. Obviously, we haven't had a referendum since 1999. That's quite a long time. Uh, you know, things like, oh, social media have been invented since then, so there needs to be some changes. That's, to- that's quite the... Uh, <laughs> to the Act. To, the Caltrops. Yeah, yes. to, to uh, do that. Now... To get this to happen, Labor has said there will be an official pamphlet to be distributed across the country outlining the respective yes and no cases. Uh, We don't know the details of that yet. Uh, We hope that they will be uh, truthful. That's one of the concerns some people have is that a no pamphlet might have some disinformation in it, and we will wait to see the outcomes of that. No way, really. One of the things Gosh, disinformation in a right-wing leaflet produced at a time where people like more redeeming are in the Liberal Party. So it ain't so, Josh. And there will also be a neutral civics campaign to make sure people understand the referendum process and the meaning of the changes if they were to occur. What there will not be is funding for the yes campaign and funding for the no campaign. Um, and there'll also not be uh, some of the things that the crossbench want. The crossbench wanted to extend uh, and voting to people who are currently in custody. Uh, Pocock wanted to extend the media blackouts and also try and insert some donation reforms into that bill. And, of course, One Nation wanted to push the whole thing off uh, to some time in the never-never. Now, Country Liberal Party Senator Jacinta Price, who opposes The Voice, has said that she would like an official yes and no campaign to be funded. And if that's not available, I will be crossing the floor. Now, to me, Van, that says it's obvious that the no campaign is struggling to attract support. You and I have been wearing our yes t-shirts, our badges. We've been talking to people. There's a lot of on-the-ground support for the yes campaign. That is continuing to grow. 
And that's based on data, not feelings. That's right. Absolutely. Although we do love it when we wear our yes clobber in the street and people come up to us and go, good on you, I'm voting yes. That absolutely brings a smile to my dial. And no question, the the polls, if you like, have narrowed a little bit. But if you asked any political party in the country, would they take a 60% 2PP? They absolutely would. It's a majority of votes in a majority of states. A referendum unlike gender, is a binary. It is a yes or a no. And that's what we have to stay focused on when we're campaigning around this. It is a yes or a no. We are campaigning for yes. This mechanism and legislation to uh, create the mechanism to allow the referendum to take place is a good thing. It's happening. Uh, And of course, the referendum working group is finalising the wording for the referendum itself this is all very good. That will go to a uh, committee uh, to make sure the wording is correct uh, and give advice to government before it finally gets put before the people, probably sometime in October. We wait to see the final dates, but we are a step closer. Now, keep campaigning. Go to Yes23, check out their website, become a volunteer, get involved in the campaign. Get a hat. Get a hat, get a T-shirt, get a badge, knock on doors, talk to your friends, talk to your family. This is the next step, the next step that we take on recon- on the path to reconciliation. Referendums don't win themselves. They need help from you. That's right. Now, Van, more good news because I think that story was good news. Yeah, that's good news. I'm going to give you good environmental news. Let's have it. Okay, so what they're trying to do is use carbon filtration to reduce emissions. Yep. Right? Very sensible. Um, a new research project has taken place where they've found out that by adding copper to uh, CO2 filter emission filters, various industrial capacities, actually he turns it into baking soda. So they break down the emission chemicals um, and it means it makes the it makes the filtration three times more efficient and it means that they can store the byproducts of the filtration under the ocean and in safer places without causing huge problems. This is emerging technology, but it's really exciting. And I know there was another IPCC report. I just dropped my mobile phone on the floor and Ben has just grimaced um, this week that was saying we're in huge trouble, you know, we've got to do stuff immediately. Well, the good news is that these things are happening and they're happening at incredible, incredible pace. You know, other parts of the world are moving very quickly on things like restricting emissions, and um, moving to mm. renewables, restricting nitrogen, all of those things, and it's exponentially growing. It's fantastic news. And, of course, the baking soda can be stored in the ocean, one of the world's largest natural collectors of carbon. But, you know, for every student house out there, free baking soda would probably go well for the fridge. Yeah. 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 I mean, I use it for cleaning. We could distribute this. This is good. Uh, I mean, we could. I mean, we don't own any industrial filtration technology ourselves, but, you know, you've you had weird ideas. Anyone who wants to invest in that, you can check out our supporter That's page. That's literally not what we're doing. Buymeacoffee.com okay. slash work on Wednesday. Here uh, we go. <laughs> Sometimes I worry about the capitalist that lurks within this man. Sometimes I do. Business no, school. I no. blame business school. Look, if we can save the earth and make our fridges smell better at the same time, I think that's good for everyone. Speaking of good for everyone, this podcast will always be free to download, always free to listen to. We want to thank everyone who came to see our Adelaide Fringe show, people who bought tickets to that. You are some of the absolute greatest people we've ever had the good fortune to come across. And it was really nice to hang out with you. It was really lovely. 
But of course, our cadre who donate support us to the tune of twenty dollars a month, and our extended reach supporters support us ten dollars a month. We'd like to give a shout out to, and our buck a week supporters. We give you a collective shout out as well as our one off supporters, without whom this podcast would not be anywhere near the eight hundred thousand downloads that we are rapidly approaching. And quite frankly. Uh, you know, I would have my Wednesdays back on a more regular basis. And a big thank you to everyone who reached out uh, on Sunday when I wasn't able to do the weekend wrap. Uh, things have just been very full on with my family situation with my mum this time, uh, and I just wasn't in a position to do it. Uh, we will have a wrap this weekend because it is, of course, post-election. But, Van, can you give a shout-out to our cadre? Okay, you ready? Let's do it. Okay, Steph Karina Balliat, Jane C. Campbell, Leona Givens, love your work, Yeet Yeti, at Annie Bailden, Claire, Jason Dallas, Camille, Akivra Boris, Kristen Sakluna, Gabe Kramer, Stephen Aiken, Trish Corey, Greg Miller, Kathy Birch, Fiona McNeil, Giotta, Jed Carney, Christine Cole, Tamara James, Bronwyn, Punch Drunk Veteran, Jenny Forster Seven, Joe Fleming, Andrew Pascoe, Cassandra Tui, Addison Official, Ian Hampson, No Twitter for Me, Hannah Honda, Matt Bush, Richard Sands, Glenn Robbie, Brush Daniels, Kylie Phillips, Linda Cartwright, Leanne Shingles, Donna Chapman, I don't have Twitter, my name is Susan at Carrie Nash 20, Billy Three McCabe, Marissa Simon, Katagal, Lauren Nash and Banjo, Matthew Hadley, Naranga Man, John Sharp and Peter Bath, Aaron Rollins and Louise Watson, a gay red, white and blue loo. And our Extend the Reach supporters are Stuart Munn, Blagoya Cal... I'm going to do that again. Blagoya Kalinsev, Matthew Case, Marky Mark, Advic Embit, Adrian Valente, Maritza at Carriedale 68, Frank Nehus, Erica Pizzuti, John, Joe Lapino, Rachel Fitzpatrick, Kerry, Arthur, Pauline Bate, Helen, Sanj Kelly, Darina, Kathy Hay, Donald Vaughan, Damien Marley, Michelle Norton, Rodney Slap, Cameron, Tridragon, Daniel, Crazy Keza, John DeHaan, Ange Fennell, Anna Uren, Ross Kenner 888, Kathy Burgess, Kirsten Black, Melanie Dinning, Jody A, Penelope Judge, Jane Holloway, Spirit of Anchor and Hope, Kay Knott, Didham, Sharon Kelly, Beck and Lola, Richard Graver, someone, BW, Tanya George, Nandita Hannam, Maura Louise Hawker, Megan Wickett Graham, Oxley Beck Cody, Tracy Lucas, Sandy Honan, Gal Vest, Greg Martin, Trainer, Amy Fawcett, not on Twitter, Sarah, Ileana, and Andrew, Ivor Spillett, Andrew Bryan, Pedro C, Linda, Sam Hadid, Kip Patterson, Lizette Twizzle, Buncombe Basher, Katie Ward, Avril Neverlongbody, Sandy Baumgart, at not Sandy B, and Renee McGee. And there are new people on that list. New people every week. We want to just give a huge shout out and congratulations to all of you. You make this show a success. If you want to know more about the New South Wales state election, our good friends over at Socially Democratic, Stephen Donnelly from Dunn Street's podcast which both Van and I have been on before which we love it's so nerdy they've been doing special episodes for the last couple of weeks you can catch up on all of that content uh, in the lead up to Saturday they've been interviewing people breaking it down it really is nerdy it goes into a level of detail that neither Van nor I really can get into well baby as we say you and I talk policy and those boys run the machine they really do it's amazing you want to know more about how to vote cards and optional preferential voting, go and listen to Social Democratic. But until Sunday, when hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to say that the continental mass of the Commonwealth of Australia is represented at a Commonwealth state and territory level by Labor governments. Oh, it'd be so great. Oh my God, coordinated action on climate change, can you imagine? Love you, Vanny. Love you too. Bye. Bye.